Hey readers, thanks for listening to our review of Catch and Kill. After the show, tune in for a bonus episode where we enjoy a little tat-tat-tat about the book and stuff. Stay tuned. (laughs) An investigative journalist begins digging into claims of a high-profile film producer accused of sexual assault, harassment, and rape when he starts to uncover what was supposed to be destroyed. A conspiracy to cover up starts at the top and exposes lies, spies, and a reckoning for many TV, film, and media personalities. The journalist is Rowan Farrell. The book, Catch and Kill. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. So So, much drama. Kari, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah, I am. Did you have a good week? What did I do this week? Yeah, I think it was good if I don't remember what I did. I don't know if that's what that means. (laughs) It means it ain't too bad. I think you tried to hide it. You're just squashing it down a little bit. That's probably it. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Yeah, what about you? How was your week? Well, I gotta say, this is the first time I did an audio book. That was a lot. Oh, you don't do audiobooks. No, I don't. I did not read a single page. That doesn't feel good to me. I feel lost. What are the differences to you? So you feel lost. It's harder mm-hmm. to follow when you're listening? It's not that it's hard to follow. I enjoy listening, mm-hmm. but I don't have the paper to put my sticky notes. I can't fold the pages. I can't be in the world. You can't live in the book. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this life is. Okay. <laughs> I just Part don't know. Of the experience. So you don't do ebooks then? No. And I'm no. all about that electronic life. If I wasn't, you know, having to do the deep dive this week, I would have absolutely done an audiobook because it would have been like a podcast, like a true cr- crime podcast. Yeah, it was. And I to those. It, so, yeah. Um, I did find, though, I signed up for Audible and I found that I could save clips and notes. And by the end, I had saved 58. That made me feel oh a little goodness. better. Yeah. Yeah. Felt like you were living in the pages. Not really, because okay. I <laughs> couldn't see the words. It's really hard not seeing those oh, words. Oh, I know what I did this week. I went Let's out with you. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, we went to Violet Hour in Wicker Park of Chicago. We went to the Darling in the West Loop. That was Did this not week. Care for it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Violet Hours is always gonna be Violet Houring. <laughs> yeah. If you're in Chicago, that's that pre-prohibition era styled. Uh, people really love lounge, that. and people love it. People it like kicked it. off the the whole speakeasy scene in the city, and it's still doing its thing. I still love that place. Yeah, I like it. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's move on. <laughs> you don't want to hear more about the weekend. Not you at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, readers. Each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we're reading. We do. And I haven't heard the theme this week. <laughs> well, so you didn't hear it, but I did text it to you. Oh. So let's oh, go. Oh, no, no. I know what it is. <laughs> it is what, what you, you can, can do to your sexually like, Oh, nope. One more time. (laughs) Sorry. The theme this week is what you can do if you're sexually harassed at work. Oh, wow. At work. No, I did not know we were doing this. It's from an article by the Muse. Um, The person is Stav Ziv, who wrote the article. She actually interviewed lawyers for the story. So with that being said, I am not a lawyer, but I am reciting the words that she wrote on that page. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're, this is your disclaimer that although you work in the legal profession, you are not a lawyer and you're not giving legal advice. I am not. So don't come after you. Don't be looking for me. Yeah. This okay. is an article that I'm using. And more importantly, don't come after me. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> so it starts by asking what is sexual harassment? And it's a form of sex discrimination, and it's actually under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Okay. And according to the EEOC, and that's the um, federal agency that kind of oversees employment discrimination laws, it is unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, and other verbal or physical conduct of a sexual nature when this conduct explicitly or implicitly affects an individual's employment unreasonably interferes with an individual's work performance or creates an intimidating, hostile, or offensive work environment. Mm -hmm. And so when they look at that definition, they look at two categories. Quid pro quo, most people are familiar with that. Transactional, yeah. This for that, something for something else. Mm -hmm. And then hostile work environment. So Where it's just a bully trying to 
Yeah, so that yeah. could be sexual advances, innuendos, or comments, as well as other unwelcome conduct on the basis of sex that is severe or pervasive enough to create an environment um, where a reasonable person would consider it intimidating, hostile, or abusive. Okay, that's more than what I was saying. Okay. What sexual harassment looks like in real life. That could be commenting about someone's appearance, conversations or questions about or stories about sex, looking somebody up and down. Um, following somebody around, suggestive emails, text messages, or other communications, sexist comments that are not necessarily sexual, vulgar language, jokes about sex or gender, unwanted touching or physical contact, requests for sexual favors or pressure for sex, threats based on rejection of sexual advances. So that's what it looks like in real life. So what can you do when you think you're being sexually harassed. The article states that this is really a personal decision because each case needs to be evaluated. Mm -hmm. It's different for different people. But whatever you decide what's right for you, you might need to seek legal advice to help you decide. It can be, but there are agencies that provide free services. How do I find those agencies? Um, You can look them up in the United States. You can start with the ABA. They may um, help you locate some services. Got it. Cool. Um, So the first thing you want to do, so whatever you decide to do, the first thing you want to do is document it. Keep a record of specific dates, comments, or behaviors that have happened. Save emails. Yeah. Forward your email to your burner email, which we all know is your Gmail email. (laughs) Is anyone out there like really using their Gmail? Like I do. Ooh. Officially. So you. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I use it. Um, Secondly, you want to make it clear that the behavior is unwelcome. That if you feel safe doing so, because sometimes you may not feel safe doing that. Consult a lawyer. While you don't need a lawyer to report sexual harassment, you may want to consult one. You also don't need a lawyer to go to the EEOC to file a complaint. You want to make changes. That may mean looking for another job because you Sorry. really don't want to endure and you don't have to endure their treatment. So how do you report sexual harassment if you decide that's what you want to do? Because can it I is add a one choice. More thing to that? Sure. You can also look up the laws in your particular state to see if you can record someone without their permission. Because in some states that might be okay and admissible in a court of law. Thank you. All right. So how do you report it? You can go to law enforcement. You can report it according to your company's policy and you can go through your union and you can file a claim with the EEOC or a local agency. So those are just a few. Well, you can also file a lawsuit. So those are just a few tips. The article goes on to talk about what are you what if you're retaliated against? That's entirely possible, but there's still options available to you. OK, so that's that. Let's take a quick break before we get into details surrounding this week's book. OK, great. Yes. Can you give us some background on Catch and Kill and Ronan Farrow? I sure can. Great. So Satchel Ronan O'Sullivan Farrow was born December 19th, 1987 in New York. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. He's the son of actress Mia Farrow and filmmaker Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. A child prodigy accepted into Yale Law School at 15. Ronan Farrow worked as an advisor for the Obama administration. And in 2011, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton appointed him as special advisor for global youth issues. And there he was assigned the tasks of creating and implementing policies aimed at empowering young people. After politics, Farrell began a career as a serious journalist. And have, were you familiar with him before this book? I was. I was. Yeah. Um, I've seen him interviewed on um, CBS this morning. OK. Yeah. And I know about his mom and his sister's situation. Right. Dylan. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And that's if- come up before on TV. Right. If you don't know, Dylan um, accused their father, Woody Allen, of abusing her at a young age. So after politics, Farrell began his career as a serious journalist, and he wrote pieces published in world-renowned publications such Mm -hmm. as The Atlantic and Wall Street Journal, and even hosted his own show in 2014. Do you remember the name of it? I don't remember the name, (laughs) but I do remember the show. Ronan Farrell Daily on MSNBC. It lasted for one season, but his reputation remained intact. 
the show didn't last. <laughs> NBC kept them on and they were like, you still got, you know, you still got it. So it doesn't mean you're bad just because your show wasn't accepted. Have by you everybody. seen the first season of Seinfeld? <laughs> it's only so-so. so. Right. Yeah. After accepting his sister's story of abuse and really championing her, he began soon after working on a story for NBC in 2017. And that story detailed the experiences of women who worked under Harvey Weinstein. We'll talk about him later. In the end, it was not NBC, but The New Yorker that published that investigative article. The New Yorker won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for Public Service for Pharaoh's Reporting sharing the award with Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy at the New York Times. Farrell was among the 100 most influential people in the world on a list published by Time Magazine in 2018. And Farrell's investigation and his subsequent book, which we're featuring today, covers his life as a journalist on this story between late 2016 and early 2019. Well, that sounds good. And that's Satchel. <laughs> he did drop those names. We do know that, yeah. right? So, Kari, can you set us up for the story? What do you want, a synopsis? <sighs> Let me give it to you. So, Please. <laughs> here it goes. Catch and Kill is a story of how big media and Hollywood work together to systematically protect sexual predators while simultaneously silencing their victims. It unveils in detail what one group of reporters did to bring down that system. And it names names of those who stood in their way. It does. Doesn't it name names? It, like, Were you kind of taken aback with the transparency in this book? It was all like laid out on the ground for you. And sometimes he'd be like, um, she didn't want to go on camera. Also, this is her name. Don't worry. She agreed to it later. Yeah. <laughs> and I do believe he he got everyone's um, yes, OK to too. be named. Yeah. I believe but that, that is, um, you know, way to go. Way to go, Pharaoh. Because when you can put a name to it, put a face to the issue, people care more. Yeah. What were your first thoughts of Catch and Kill? Yeah. So I was actually pretty excited to read the book. Now I'm thinking... I don't know why I was excited to read the book. <laughs> like, why, what do you mean? Why was I excited to read the book? I mean, I it's e done very well. It's on lists of books, top books of 2019. We're in the middle of a case right now where this book does play a huge factor. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see that. Well, I don't know. But I remember watching that original interview when the book was coming out and I was intrigued then even not truly knowing what the book was about. Yeah. So I was excited to read it. Like I said, I'm not sure why I was, but I'm excited. <laughs> okay. I was excited to read it. So um, although I did not physically read this book, I must say that. Stop saying that. You listen to it. I listened to it. And for me, it does not feel the same. So <laughs> what were your first thoughts? Okay. Uh, my first thought was, so I saw this book in the book table, an independent bookstore in Oak Park, yeah. Illinois. And I opened it because I knew we were going to cover it in February and it just looked like a bunch of um, facts. It looked like the evidence. It looks like what you pull from the archives in order to write a book. <laughs> wow. I got to say, I don't know what the book looks like because okay. I didn't read it. Can you it. get over it? Okay. Not quite. So my excitement waned when I saw that. I said, oh, I'm reading court documents. <laughs> I'm not a, I don't know, paralegal. No, I'm not I a lawyer. Enjoy that. I'm not a barista. I don't know nothing about court. So anyway, uh, so I, I won't say I was excited to read it, but I do feel this type of importance attached to the book. And I wanted to edify myself on the situation so that I could speak properly about the situation um, going forward, because this isn't something that's just going to go away. Right. And I feel like this is an issue that will be brought up for years to come. Now that we have some contacts mm -hmm. and our initial thoughts. Yep. Why don't we dive into the book? A deep dive. A deep one. Let's do it. Okay. I'm ready? nervous. Yeah, I, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. Okay, we'll get into it. <sighs> no pressure. Take your time and begin. Hi, readers. We love that you love us and we love y'all too, which is why we want you to know three important things about this week's show. Number one. You should be warned about its content. We're covering Catch and Kill, a book that goes into detail about the allegations made against disgraced film producer Harvey Weinstein. These allegations involve abuse of the sexual nature, including R.A.P.E. If you think the subject might elicit a harmful emotional response within you, please don't listen. Take care of yourself. Number two, although four scores of women have come forward against Weinstein and he's already been sentenced in the court of public opinion, his future is currently being weighed in the hands of the United States judicial system. He's on trial. 
New evidence is being presented as we speak, but much of it was brought to light only because of the hard work of Ronan Farrow and other journalists, producers, and media execs who are willing to sacrifice their reputation and careers to expose the truth. These include Rich McHugh, Jody Cantor, Megan Tui, and many more. Number three. The bravest in this book are the women who came forward to name names and place blame on the most powerful people in their universe. We're going to deal with this topic and their stories respectfully. So let's begin. A deep dive into Catch and Kill. Lit Society episode seven. Seven. Part one. Stolen bodies never forget. Hollywood is a neighborhood in Los Angeles, area code 213, less than 90,000 residents. But what it represents is bi-coastal global. It's an industry that's been around for over a hundred years and touched countless lives. From the beginning, it's nurtured a culture of creativity and violence. Those two are not mutually exclusive. Do you have any advice for a young girl moving to Hollywood? Um, I'll get live with this. Harvey Weinstein invites you to a private party and four seasons. Definitely. I don't know if you remember that. It's Courtney Love. Okay, it sounds a little familiar. Warning the girls in 2005. Whoa. So all together, over 80 women have accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual misconduct spanning a period of at least 30 years. These women include Rose McGowan. She's an actress, one of the most public accusers. Um, She reached a settlement with Weinstein in 1997 following an, an incident during the Sundance Film Festival. She says someone from her management team set up a meeting with Weinstein. She's an actress. This is normal at a restaurant. Okay. Weinstein moved that meeting to his palatial suite. There he assaulted her. Then there's Ambra Gutierrez. She's a model. She alleges that she was groped by Weinstein and went directly to the police. NYPD confirmed this. They wired her and sent her back to Weinstein, who admitted on quote unquote tape to his actions, saying he was just used to it. He was just used to it. Side note, to NYPD's shock, that case was dropped. Angelina Jolie, I quote, I had a bad experience with Harvey Weinstein in my youth, and as a result, chose never to work with him again and warned others when they did, Ms. Jolie said in an email to the New York Times. That's huge. Weinstein controlled Hollywood. Yeah, Mm -hmm. these are actresses. Mm -hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow, early in Paltrow's acting career, Um, She says she was invited to Weinstein's hotel suite where he suggested a massage in the bedroom. She refused. Lupita Nyong'o tells a similar story, I believe, at Weinstein's home. These are just uh, to name a few. Again, Mm -hmm. 80 women. Hi, this is Lindsay Lohan. Hi, I'm in Dubai. I'm home. uh, And I feel very bad for Harvey Weinstein right now. I don't think it's right what's going on. Uh, I think Georgina needs to take a stand and be there for her husband. And he's never harmed me or done anything wrong to me. We've done several movies together. And so I think everyone needs to stop. I think it's wrong. So stand up. Stand up. Alexis, that's Lindsay Lohan in 2017. Just because you did not experience it doesn't mean the other people did not experience it. Wow, that's like something that keeps coming up. It didn't happen to you, so it didn't happen. I didn't hear the tree fall. Anyway, that, and that's just not true. It's just not. And it's not fair to other people to discount their experience like that. Part two, honest and balanced. Born in Queens, New York in 1952, Harvey Weinstein worked to become an award winning film producer and power player. Harvey and his brother Bob were film geeks turned businessmen. In 1979, they founded Miramax. You familiar with Miramax? I am. How could you not be? They created There Will Be Blood. Goodwill Hunting, The English Patient, The Aviator, Life is Beautiful, Kill Bill. Yeah, Again, they to name created a, few. a lot of stuff. They was making the movies. In 2005, the, the Weinstein brothers, ooh, the monies. Um, in 2005, the Weinstein brothers formed a production company, The Weinstein Company. Yep. This creation produced The King's Speech, The Butler, Django, Silver Linings Playbook, and co-produced Project Runway for television to name a few. But Harvey Weinstein's casting couch was a public secret. While announcing the 2013 nominees for the Best Supporting Actress Academy Award, Seth MacFarlane made this joke. Congratulations, you five ladies no longer have to pretend to be attracted to Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) Wow. 
So how did this reign of terror last for so long, Alexis? <clears throat> One word. Enablers. Harvey Weinstein was famous for his bullying, his screaming, his threat making. However, as is typical, he was also a charismatic predator. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, because, you know, he's on trial. He had close friends on both sides of the political aisle publicly supporting higher ups among the Democratic Party. And names are named throughout this book. Throughout the book. There's also a book called She Said. That's by the writers of the New York Times article, Two Women. Oh. Yep. But his connections didn't stop at the most powerful position in America. No. It also included members of the press. Yep. Allegedly, Weinstein worked with publications like the National Enquirer to smear his victim's reputation in the papers. Now, tell me, have you ever thought the Enquirer a reputable source? No. Mm. When you want facts, you don't go to the Enquirer? No, you don't. Well, that's crazy because actually they have all the tea. They They got the Earl Grey. They got the passion fruit. They got the ginger because... They buy stories and never publish them. And what is that called? It's genius. What? Catch and Kill. Oh, my goodness. That's the book we read in. Yes. Well, Weinstein would pay off women with NDAs at six digit figures. He ruined careers and had people fired from their jobs with a snap of the finger. He was Thor and there were no Avengers. But times they were a changing and a movement was not so silently spreading. Enter the media. Ronan Farrow. You know him. He's a journalist, contributor at NBC. Rich McHugh, television producer at NBC News, family man, helped to champion Ronan's investigation at the risk of ruffling the feathers of some really, really, really big birds. Noah Oppenheim, Ivy Leaguer, television exec in charge of the Today Show. Always dreamed of a career in Hollywood. Loves scripted drama. His first screenplay was Jackie about the days between Kennedy's assassination and funeral, which like if you want to watch a movie, that's what you want to watch a movie about. No, it's not. They said that and was no one terrible. wanted to watch it. They no, said that was terrible. Was terrible. terrible. But his eye for a story reputation remained intact and allowed him to move up the ladder. How high? Well, he's eventually promoted to president of NBC News, solidifying the outlet's chain of command as all male and all white. Right. Just a little footnote Pharaoh threw in there for us. Richard Greenberg, television vet, head of NBC's investigative unit. Hilarious. Also, President Phil Griffin, president of MSNBC. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the stories purchased by outlets connected to Weinstein involve some of the top talent on television. So uh, I guess we can name names if they're in Catch and Kill. They're in Catch and Kill. Let us name names. I'm nervous. Sam. Matt Lauer. Yep. The Inquirer had a whole little vault on him. Mm hmm. And others. With these stories, threats could be made against networks who allowed their people to investigate Weinstein. So let's apply it to, to you and I. Let's say there's some dirt out there on you, Alexis. Okay. So I have the Inquirer. 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 I shouldn't have had that glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> so I have the Inquirer. Buy it. And now who do I own? I own you. I can always threaten you. Whoever you work with, you want to investigate me. But I got this. My, the Inquirer has a story on you and I'll publish it if you don't shut up. OK. Right. Low key, the Inquirer also owns me in that arrangement. Yeah. But it is what it is. For anyone brave or reckless enough to press on despite these threats, Weinstein also had a top notch law team and muscle. The former prime minister exclamation mark, exclamation mark, of Israel, (laughs) recommended to Weinstein the services of Black Cube, an organization run mostly by former officers of the Mossad and other Israeli intelligence agencies. It had branches in Tel Aviv, London, and Paris. A dossier, which is a collection of docs and stats on a person, it's like a baseball card for people that don't play baseball, would be collected on Weinstein's enemies and forwarded throughout this international Network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And others. So yeah. Black Cube was not the only organization Weinstein had at his fingertips. Correct. Info would also be collected on anyone working with these quote unquote enemies, including interns, cameramen. Yeah. Just imagine that. And newspaper folk. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Journalists. Part three. You can catch more bees with honeypot. 
One assistant, Perkins, recalls how it was working as an assistant to Harvey Weinstein. From my very first time left alone with Harvey, she says, I had to deal with him being present either in his underpants or totally naked. That's disgusting. Insanely disgusting. It's disgusting. It should also be noted that Harvey Weinstein's a big guy. Like physically, he's huge. Thatcher. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a big, scary looking naked man. I think a man and a woman can appreciate how terrifying that would be. She said Weinstein never succeeded with her, but used her as a honeypot, facilitating liaisons and cleaning hotel rooms when he was done. This is her boss. That's gross. She hired an assistant, Chu, who emerged a meeting from a meeting with Weinstein trembling and crying. Chu says Weinstein tried to assault her. Mm-hmm. Chu and Perkins resigned, resigned from their jobs and pursued legal action. Is this the England case? Yes, it is. In the end, they split a settlement of 250,000 pounds. The check was paid to the women's law firm, hiding the action from Disney, parent to Miramax, and distancing it from Harvey. There were also some clauses in Perkins' uh, settlement. So they took the check. This was not, I I have to say, not that it's anyone's business, but this was not the first, uh, this was not these ladies' goal. Their goal was not to get paid. It was after weeks and no doubt a lot of money (laughs) paid to lawyers in negotiation. Weinstein's people would not back down. They were going to sign the settlement as far as uh, Weinstein's people were concerned. Well, that was like standard practice. He like essentially bullied people into accepting Mm -hmm. the settlements. And accepting checks. And signing the uh, non-disclosures. Well, she, Perkins, said that if I'm going to sign this, there are going to be provisions added to it. Correct. In an exhausting four-day negotiation process, Perkins prevailed in adding provisions to the contract that she hoped would change Weinstein's behavior. The agreement mandated the appointment of three handlers, one an attorney, to respond to the sexual harassment allegations at Merrimax. The company was obligated to provide proof that Weinstein was receiving counseling for three years or as long as his therapist deems necessary. The agreement also required Merrimax to report Weinstein's behavior to Disney and fire him if a subsequent sexual harassment settlement was reached in the following two years. The company implemented the human resources changes, but other parts of the agreement were not enforced. Perkins pressed for months, then gave up. I was exhausted. I was humiliated. I couldn't work in the industry in the UK because the stories that were going around about what had happened made it impossible, she recalled. In the end, she moved to Central America. She'd had enough. Money and power enabled, and the legal system had enabled. She eventually told me, ultimately, the reason Harvey Weinstein followed the route he did is because he was allowed to. And that's our fault. As a culture, that's our fault. Ali Canosa, a Harvey Weinstein employee, former assistant, confirmed she knew about the quote unquote honeypot meetings and that she was abused also by Weinstein. Um, she met with Pharaoh privately and disclosed the following. This. OK, I'm sorry. Backing it up a little. A lot of brave women shared their stories. Mm -hmm. We are highlighting those um, not based on importance, but actually on time. (laughs) So the ones that I am highlighting in this deep dive aid to the continuation of the overall story here. However, they are all important. There's a lot in the book I'm not able to cover again because of time. There's a lot in this book. Mm -hmm. And then there's auxiliary information that he adds, his sources you can go through. Mm Mm-hmm. So Canosa, right? Assistant. Mm-hmm. After she was insulted, she didn't speak to hardly anyone about it. OK, for many, many reasons. She didn't talk to her family about it. She didn't talk to her boyfriend about it. She worked up the courage to disclose the assault to her therapist. But guess what, Alexis? After doing so, it ended up being that her uh, therapist was a producer in one of Weinstein's yeah, movies. That's... This is the Twilight Zone. Their first meeting, her and Weinstein, was unexpectedly moved from the hotel's lobby to Weinstein's suite. This is his M.O. She left as he asked for a kiss and flirted with her. She didn't want to ruin her chances in the industry. She agreed to another meeting at a restaurant. After meeting, he kissed her. Mm -hmm. Hard. She was mortified. Weinstein later apologized and said he wanted to make it right. He opened doors for her. Career wise. In another meeting, he asked her to get in the shower with him. She said no. This this is gross. 
She started working on a film for Weinstein already, and they had this sort of weird friendship, she says, once he even cried in front of her. Right. Eventually, he forced himself on her. She continued working for him after the assault, and he forced himself on her numerous times after that day. Pharaoh is in the background while these women are sharing their stories, um, their firsthand accounts, and he's gathering um, transcripts, audio, evidence for his investigation with NBC. According to Pharaoh, though, when things got hot, NBC got out the kitchen. Part four. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a cult. <laughs> Ronan presents his script for the feature at NBC. He breaks it down, um, you know, line by line. Yep. It was very economical. He said this wasn't hard to understand what he was going to do. He was going to s- simplify it as much as possible to make it digestible to the public. Greenberg, Greenberg, who you may recall is a television vet at NBC, head of NBC's investigative unit, liked the script, but wanted to reach out to Harvey Weinstein for comment. Weird. Uh, Wiener, who was also part of the law team, agreed. Wiener is the female attorney. She's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oppenheim, who you may remember to be the exact in charge of the Today Show, said no. Take it to Andy Lack. Lack was Oppenheim's boss. He oversaw both NBC News and MSNBC. Back to Wiener? Yes. Uh-huh. The female attorney, news division's top lawyer. Right. Uh-huh. She started asking weird questions, in my opinion, like she was trying to gather information, but wasn't committing to the feature. Yeah. Why are you going to do this? Who are your sources? Right. So she could go back and talk to. Why do you care who my sources are? Okay. Discuss this. Oppenheim. Here's Weinstein's confession on tape. It should be noted. Pharaoh, while gathering evidence, even managed to secure a recording that law enforcement thought was destroyed. Law enforcement will later come back and say, we didn't say it was destroyed. We didn't say it was supposed to be destroyed. But according to Pharaoh and the accuser, that's what was said. Yeah. Weinstein also expected that tape to be destroyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Him, his whole crew, everybody on his team, they knew it was destroyed. So they knew the tape existed and they thought it was destroyed. All evidence. They felt like it was part of the agreement, the NDA. non-disclosure that the, it would be destroyed. Do you remember what was on that tape? Yep. Harvey's um, admission. admission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, in the Gutierrez case. And you may recall that that is the woman who went to the police after being um, groped by Harvey. The police wired her up and sent her back to Harvey. On the tape, Harvey says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, just come into my hotel room. And she goes, no. And he goes, why not? And she's like, you groped me yesterday. And he goes, yeah, yeah. But I'm used to that. And they counted that as being him trying to get push her out of the room, get rid of her. Well, Oppenheim does think it that's what's going on. In fact, he says it's gross, but not necessarily news. He seems concerned about not airing info from the contracts, the NDAs, which was weird for yeah. a news organization to care about that. Um, where would we even air it? He asked. He said, this is not even news. People don't even know who Harry is. Okay. It also comes out that Weinstein may have misused funds from an AIDS foundation of which he was a board member. That's a side note because he's like spending a lot of money. He's got a lot of women to pay off. Farrah and McHugh had no idea that dossiers were already floating around the world with info on them and their crew. Moving on, Farrell meets with Rose McGowan. She doesn't trust NBC, but concedes to shoot more and more and name names. Greenberg informs Farrell that the story is under legal review by the topmost execs at NBC Universal. This is weird. Yeah, because it shouldn't have gone that high. Painstaking efforts are made to do everything above board. There are no covert operations on Farrell's part as far as disclosed is disclosed within the book. Right. Okay. So for the law team of NBC to now be involved, it seemed more than unnecessary. It was sketchy. Okay. Um, Greenberg tells Pharaoh to keep the lawyers at arm's length. Don't play the tape of Weinstein confessing to inappropriate conduct. Not for the lawyers. This too is weird. Pharaoh's thoughts. That day in Greenberg's office, I remember thinking how small he seemed. Not defeated so much as comfortable within the narrow bounds of what he could and could not do inside an organization to which he had devoted 17 years of his life. 
that statement stuck with me. Basically, I don't want to get behind this case because I don't want to ruin my career. And I'm happy that there are bureaucratic arrangements within the organization to protect me from having to get journalism all on me. You dirty. (laughs) Soon Pharaoh is told, stop investigating altogether, okay? Hey, investigator, stop investigating. Weird, weird, weird. NBC told him to stop investigating. Let's just be clear. NBC told him to stop investigating. And he was like, but why, though? I have proof and I have people that are willing to be on camera and talk about this. Mm -hmm. Let's present this to television. This is also where I want to mention that Rich McHugh, who we uh, noted before, who was the champion of Ronan's story. He really is a ride or die. He okay, he's, he's a he's, producer. He's, yeah, he's above Ronan. I should say Pharaoh consistently. So he's above Pharaoh, but devoted to the story. Mm-hmm. There is no reason in his mind to stop investigating. He's determined not to, one, cancel the shoot with McGowan. So Rose McGowan is McGowan. I'm so sorry. He is determined not to cancel the shoot with McGowan. So Rose McGowan has worked up the courage to show her face on camera and name names. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity as far as this investigation is concerned. They don't want her to lose her cool. They don't want her to freak out and to pull back because that would be a huge loss as far as evidence against Weinstein. Pharaoh takes a risk and calls Tom Brokaw for help. Brokaw promises to talk to top execs and he encourages Pharaoh to talk to Andy. Again, Andy is Oppenheim's boss. Oppenheim contacts Pharaoh to encourage him not to investigate further until he has the go ahead from execs and the law team. This is all so sus. Greenberg calls Harvey Weinstein, tells Pharaoh about it and then tells Pharaoh, hey, be careful in them streets. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Wow. The legal team finally comes around to agreeing that McGowan be interviewed on tape. This is so weird because if they are fearing some type of negative blowback, some type of litigation, it would be after the tape airs. There is no way that NBC could be sued or, you know, made liable for something that wasn't published right. for just talking to someone on tape. Because that's what they standardly do. These are the practices that they normally go through. They're a news media organization. This so why? is also regular. Why? And they're throwing so many wrenches into the machine. Right. So legal's like, okay, you can interview McGowan, but it's too late. They've scared her away. She asks Pharaoh to leave her alone. She seems nervous. And eventually Pharaoh's office gets a cease and desist letter. I remember that. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure did. So let's talk about Black Cube a little bit. Okay. (laughs) These are the tales behind the tale. You get it? Because they're T-A-I-L-S. I'm sure. They're following Pharaoh on the train. They're sitting in a Nissan outside of his car. You want to sit outside of someone's home every day without them noticing. What car do you sit in? A Honda Civic. Duh. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Because they're everywhere. Pharaoh's superintendent, the superintendent of his building is like, hey, um, I think it's some people outside trying to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And Pharaoh's like, what? stop you so crazy and he's like no no I'm serious and Pharaoh's like well how you know they you know they're sitting outside for me me." he goes Pharaoh I just know okay (laughs) yeah so there's even a conversation where um Otrovsky one of the agents um regularly reviews Pharaoh's social media account and those of his friends and family and he discusses with his partner perhaps having a quote-unquote meeting with Pharaoh outside of the Today Show. They later decide against it. This is also a weird time when um, Pharaoh keeps getting weather alerts. Yeah, weather alerts. Is it- <laughs> Trying to get him to opt into something on his yeah. phone. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, don't opt into anything on your phone. Because it could be. Unless sus- you absolutely know. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they can spy on you through your phone and stuff. Pharaoh also receives a communication from a women's right act rights activists asking for a meeting. He ignores it. That woman is Diana Phillip of Rubin Capital Partners. She says. Very. Diana Phillips is the one that befriended Rose McGowan. I don't remember how the introduction came about, but over the 
period over a period of time she got to know Rose. Rose got came to trust her. They were going on walks together. They were phone friends, calls, writing letters. Yes. And all the time she was like a covert operative for Harvey Weinstein. Yes. We Phillip find out was. later. Mm-hmm. Farrell runs into Wiener attorney at NBC and she tells him, keep going, don't stop. Weird. Hillary Clinton wrote him a personal letter, Farrell, encouraging him regarding his foreign policy book. This was before the investigation started. Yeah, so, her- okay, if I can interrupt. While he was doing this investigation, he was also in the process of writing a book. Kind of, sort of, but the investigation like took over his life. Yeah, and so in the meantime, he was scheduling appointments. So at the time when they were telling him to stop focusing they were like, on work the investigation, on your they say work on your investigation. And one of his- Or on your book. Yeah, on the book. One of his interviewees for the book was Hillary Clinton. And they had purposely scheduled her interview around her um, campaigning. Yes. Her assistant, Nick, calls Farrow and tells him that the Harvey Weinstein story is a concern for them. People are talking and Hillary is no longer available for his book. That right there was deep. McHugh starts to question Farrow's loyalty. So... Pharaoh's doing the work. He's tearing his life apart. But McHugh also is invested in this story. And he feels like um, Pharaoh is having private meetings without him. This is a time when everyone's suspicious of everyone. Right. So McHugh's like, hey, hey, Pharaoh, you trying to cut me out? Why are you having private meetings? What he doesn't know is that Pharaoh is truly trying to have private meetings to continue the investigation. But Within these meetings, he might never talk to Greenberg about something or never talk to Oppenheim about something. Schedule a meeting with the top exec and all of a sudden Greenberg and Oppenheim are there. So everyone's talking behind his back. Greenberg asked him to stop the investigation again. They asked him to stop this investigation so many times. I lost count. Farrell gets more and more paranoid and buys a burner device for communication. He also eventually um, invests in a subterranean lockbox. Oh, right. At Bank of America Mm -hmm. and writes uh, a note in it like, if I die, please publish all this stuff. Right. Also, I really think I might get taken out. (laughs) It was that was true. So this is take note. Greenberg, the television vet head of NBC's investigative unit, confirms eventually that no one Oppenheim and not legal decided that investigation should stop. You may recall that Oppenheim told Farrell to stop investigating until it was cleared by legal, but also don't talk to legal about the investigation. Yep. Perhaps that was because legal had nothing to do with stopping the investigation. Perhaps, perhaps it's like a reverse murder on the Orient Express. Everyone wants it dead. No one wants to stab it. Everyone sees that this is wrong, basically. But no one wants to get their hands dirty by truly, truly getting involved and publishing the story. While he's on the plane, Pharaoh sees that Harvey Weinstein is receiving an award from L.A. Press Club for contributions to public discourse and enlightenment of society. Behind the scenes, unbeknownst to Pharaoh, Griffin is reassuring Weinstein that the story is dead. Ixnay on the Tories day. Pharaoh gets on a train. And thinks he sees one of the guys from the Nissan in front of his house. <laughs> he does. because yeah. They're following him. <laughs> he does, so does. mention is made later of a Trump aide being accused of harassment against women. No one is reporting it because it's not worth it is the consensus. Noah discloses that Harvey Weinstein says Pharaoh is biased because of his sister, because Dylan was abused by her father or says she was because Harvey Weinstein and Woody Allen are friends. Um, and Pharaoh has an agenda. An agenda. It should be noted that before his investigation began, this was openly talked about and NBC decided it was a non-factor. Now, all of a sudden, it's a factor. Farrell has now come to grips with how he dismissed his sister's um, need to publicly accuse Woody Allen, their father. And he is going to internalize. This is the way I'm reading it. His own frustrations with not taking her story seriously from the beginning and use that as motivation to fight for these women at all costs. Yeah. Noah tells Pharaoh the investigation, the story, it's over. Okay, I don't even talk about it anymore. Noah Oppenheim. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to stop contacting sources. A lot of women have risked a lot and are still risking a lot. Oppenheim tells Pharaoh to take the story to New York Magazine. Go with God is a quote. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're not going to stop. Okay, take it to somewhere else, please. I'm just tired of it. Yeah, and he gave him permission to take it somewhere this else. This is the thing. He gave well, him permission. no, no. We should say. He, he passively said, yeah, yeah, take it to New York. He didn't relinquish any of the transcripts that Ronan had gathered or any of the, I'll say, evidence that is now in possession of NBC. But there was a workaround with that because, you know, Pharaoh had made friends and Fox was like, I got you. And so, is that McHugh? <laughs> so McHugh uh, tells Pharaoh, hey, I'm just going to give you this jump drive. OK, don't make a big deal about it. And Pharaoh steps forward as if to hug him. And McHugh is like, hey, hey, don't touch me. OK, but don't bury this. He says. <laughs> yeah, he did. So he, McHugh really cares about the story. Yeah, he does. Meanwhile, Black Cube is sitting in front of Pharaoh's home, peeing in cups so as to not miss any essential activities. They are committed. True investigators, right? Private investigators. Chapter 32 is entitled Hurricane because Hurricane Harvey touches ground in the Gulf of Mexico. That's symbolism. Moving on. (laughs) It's kind of just mentioned as what a coincidence. Okay. Okay, now Asia Argento, who is an actress, you may remember her from Marie Antoinette. That's what I remember her from. I don't remember her as an actress. Okay. I just know her from a relationship with what's his name. Yeah, so um, she comes forward with a story similar, but very detailed as the other women. Um, her boyfriend, Anthony Boudin, urges her to continue despite uh, any blowback to her career or reputation. The story is important. Jane, too, seemed very invested. He did. He made a statement about that. Mm -hmm. The New York Times publishes their own investigation of Harvey Weinstein. Um, And that is what we mentioned at the beginning. That story is the result of the investigation uh, made by Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey. You will recall that they, too, uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for this investigation. There is so much to work with when it comes to Weinstein and his years of abuse. That this investigation published by the New York Times does not even step on Pharaoh's investigation. Right. Ooh. Yeah. However, it does ruffle some feathers at NBC because they now see, it seems, once the public realizes NBC dropped this story while the public is caring about it, then they will make pariahs out of the network. So the New York Times story makes NBC nervous. They, at, mm-hmm. at some point in here, Farrell is kind of fired, but not fired from NBC. So NBC goes to McHugh and they're like, hey, can you revive that? Uh, what was it? Harvey Weinstein story? <laughs> they're terrible actors. Um, when the air date arrives for McHugh's story, he's told, oh, we ran out of time for your segment. This happens again. Eventually, he's told, hey, Pharaoh, he's not allowed on set, okay? Yeah. The intro that Ronan Pharaoh was supposed to read is read by Matt Lauer. NBC starts saying publicly that Pharaoh was never ready with a story while connected to the network. He never secured documentation. He never persuaded anyone to go on camera. He really didn't have anything. Anything they could present. Mm -hmm. Part five, final part. NBC, nobody cares. NBC eventually starts begging to work with Pharaoh. They need to clean up their image. He tries to work with NBC again. He wants his old job back. He loved it there. He loved it there. He loved it there. But in the end, collaborating on their terms would absolve them of guilt and he can't do it. He would end up, he would do these interviews where people would ask them, him about why didn't NBC publish this? How did you get to publish it through the He seems comfortable in those type of interviews. It's when Lauer was talking about their kind of collaboration and kind of trying to paint the picture of NBC as the actual champion of this story, helping nurture it from the beginning. And that's when Farrell was like, "Uh, actually, I can't do this. Right. But he also had, he didn't want to put attention on himself, but at the same time, him putting attention on himself and saying, excuse me, on NBC and saying, no, NBC was kind of holding back. It's really NBC's fault. This wasn't, he then you wanna, change the story away from yeah. Weinstein into one about a journalist and a network. And he didn't want and the story to go that, there. He didn't want that direction to be taken. Mm-hmm. It was another issue he had. 
However, in the end, the brush of public opinion paints only in black and white. The New Yorker, which ran the story, they're painted as heroes. They're seen as heroes. Mm -hmm. And NBC and its top execs are painted as the bad men who enabled a predator to steal people's soul for decades. You know what I found interesting? There was a Wikipedia whitewasher. You remember that? That's a job. Yes. Did you know that? I did not know that. There are people paid to whitewash your Wikipedia page. Yeah. So I remember (laughs) being in college and being told, don't use Wikipedia. Because it's not legit. It's not. People get to add information. But so we're, not. we're slaves of convenience. And then we all just started using it. Yes. And such it, wow. it's the thing that comes up when you search for yeah. somebody you want to investigate or look, uh, you know, inquire about. One thing I will say, though, that they reference sources at the bottom. So you can usually go to those sources and mm-hmm. do your due diligence. But, but that was. Yeah. But to know that there is a, a <laughs> Wikipedia whitewasher, I'm like, what? And they were whitewashing. They were. Um, erasing these stories about Harvey Weinstein and painting them as affairs. Yeah. You know, copping to a little truth so as to hide the bigger lie. Right. Let's take a break. What did you think of Catch and Kill and what's your final verdict? Um, This book is a lot. I listened to it. (laughs) That puts me at a... I personally feel that you feel like you're at a a disadvantage. disadvantage. Yes, I do. So you don't like audiobooks. You gave it a try. I did give it a try. If I could read the book also, like if I could have gotten the book from the library... Because that's where I like to get my books you from. You do. You support the library. Then I would have felt better about um, listening to it because I can see the words on the page. But that has nothing to do with the content. It was hard to listen to. I'm thinking maybe it would have been easier reading it off the page. It would not have been. Because <laughs> the audio. I, I got nightmares. Was no joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally heard the audio tape that Guterres um oh he played he it. played that he played the that. admission of guilt from Weinstein yes he played that that which was in the police vault he played that I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm glad I read it I can't say that I don't feel like I that was something I needed in my life I would not want to read it again. But I, can I just add, Ronan did a really good job on those voices. <laughs> In the audiobook, his Ukrainian accent, his English accent. All of his all accents, the accents were great. I mean, they were superb. I mean, you can say that as you're not Ukrainian or English. But <laughs> correct, correct. But I enjoyed his reading. He put his, yeah, he tried. He worked really hard on that. Yeah, for so, sure. But... What's my final verdict? Would I recommend the book? I'm going to say no. I don't need this in my life. It's happening in the world. They're reporting it live. But do I need the the small details of it? I don't think I do. I personally do not need that in my life. What about you? I will start by saying um, uh, what pains me most about these stories is that people couldn't talk that they felt like they couldn't talk and it wasn't because they legally signed their lives away and said they wouldn't talk it's because they couldn't form the words to describe what happened and how what happened made how that made them feel and then when uh, one woman did confide into her therapist for that therapist to be working on a film with Harvey Weinstein what type of weird psycho universe mm-hmm. it made me feel like, oh, OK, just don't get into the film industry. <laughs> yeah. So we learned nobody should do that. Truly how disgusting <laughs> they are. Man, we've been we've known this, but now we know this. But it's not them. They're not the others. This is a culture that can exist in any type of industry. It could. So it's really important to be able to walk away from everything you've worked for for the sake of your sanity and 
um, physical health. So is this more like a, you read it for a cautionary tale? How did I read this? I read this as, and then too, I used to be um, interested in journalism for myself. Ah. And so it was, I did really appreciate the way that the details were broken down in the book. As far as an investigation is concerned, I thought Pharaoh uh, was just excellent. And sure, yeah. Yeah. And so um, if it was about any subject matter, just the way the investigation was handled, I enjoyed reading that as far as someone can enjoy something like this. I, um, I appreciated that. However, to your point, there is a trial right now. And if you read the news, you already have some superficial knowledge of what's going on. And that might be enough. I have decided I know what my verdict is. <laughs> First of all, I'm glad I read the book and I would read it again. I thought the stories, although hard to read and very heavy, I, I was glad I read them. I was glad that I read them. I'm glad that um, this story, which will be brought up repeatedly, I now have some knowledge about that's more than just what's superficially You can tweeted. talk about it. <laughs> yeah. You can talk about it. Yeah. And reference the book. And also number two, I would not recommend it. This is a book. I think if you're reading it, you should go out and search for it and read it. And that should be your choice. I'm glad now that I know just how terrifying it was. And um, although I wouldn't recommend it, I would read it again myself. And this is a book that will stay with me. Can I say I've had some experiences in my life mm -hmm. similar mm -hmm. to what was described in the book? Yeah. And that makes me not need to read it again. Yeah. That's more than understandable. So, yeah. So this is the thing. Hearing about sexual abuse, reading it, whatever, take care of yourself. You cannot gorge yourself on this type of um, pain. And everyone's tolerance is different based on your experiences in life. So if you didn't read this, you shouldn't feel guilty for never wanting to read it. No. <laughs> and uh, if you did read it and felt like, wow, I didn't need this, you also shouldn't feel guilty. No one should feel guilty in this scenario except the guilty people who perpetuated this violent disgusting culture they should definitely feel guilty definitely they should feel guilty mm -hmm. so so that's that i'll never be at a dinner party like oh you know what you should read <laughs> catch and kill but i will be at a dinner party and be like you know i read catch and kill and i thought this was interesting wait what do you think of the title catch and kill dang that's a good title yeah. especially when you learn where it comes from yeah i thought that was a great i title. mean just excellent all around it I can't say it was well written. It was well read. You didn't think it was well written? I didn't read it. Oh, because you, cause you auto, autoed it. It's fine. Stop. Let go. Wow, you got a lot of guilt surrounding this book. Just let that go. I do. I do. I do. So, And I will also take back what I said about uh, it's probably harder to listen to. Because when you read something, your mind kind of protects you to a point. You can read the most disgusting thing in the world and your mind will kind of shield you from visioning all of it, envisioning all of it. But when you hear it, it is fed to you and you can't stop it. Yeah. You are at the mercy of someone else's creative control. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that uh, it is probably harder to hear this book. There's also a podcast to supplement this book called Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. Seriously? I've never heard it, but... Yeah, some of the people involved in this investigation, he's he interviews more in detail. Yeah, some of the victims, he talks to them. Um, I don't like victims, but some of the women that were abused by Weinstein, Survivors. he talks to them. Survivors, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brave, brave, brave women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. So, yes. what are we reading next week, Kari? Sula by Toni Morrison. Yes, yes. And I'm not sure I'm looking forward to reading it because I don't know much about <laughs> it. Chose it. That's not the point. You know I choose just be choosing books and stuff. You do. You don't even look at reviews. Well, this will be my second or third time reading it. Okay. So. Um, classic. Classic book. Very short. So if Catch and Kill took like your whole week to read, this will take a day. Just remember I didn't read it. I listened you to it. You were listening to it. Very different. Okay. 
Well, thank you for listening to Let's Society. We look forward to sharing our review of Sula next week, Thursday. Let's Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show. Do it, do it, do it. On Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. And we love you for loving us. (laughs) We do. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today (laughs) or in some of our previous episodes. Yeah, a little lighter one. Tell a friend. Animal Farm, you guys. Listen to Animal Farm after this. A lot of friends, more than one friend about Liz's eyes. Please tell your friends. Actually, what episode should they listen to after this? This is Um, super heavy. Pride and Prejudice. Okay, yeah. Go back and listen to Pride and Prejudice because that ain't nothing but foolishness. And it'll have light in the mood. And actually, you can watch a movie following it. It'll be great. But not the Kira Knightley one because no one likes it. Definitely Darcy not maybe that ain't one. cute in it. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely not that one. In the meantime, we do want you to visit ListSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. It's so great. And until next time, folks, read, 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 read something. something.